Good morning to each one and bring you Christian greetings from the Shenandoah Valley. We had a nice trip down and I noticed on the way down we passed quite a number of other churches that we could have stopped at. So I guess that means y'all got the special place here for us to be here this morning. But you know there's there's a lot of other people between here and, and home. And the Bible says it is the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. Some people just have their blinders on, I guess. Maybe we need some help to peel them back so they can see the light. And maybe there's those that, that put on a welding helmet because they don't want to see the light. Now that's going to work real good for you when you're stumbling around in the dark. But that's the choice some people make in this world. And we dare not hide the light of God from our hearts and from our knowledge and from our understanding. And that's why I like the Word of God so good because it gives ample direction, very needful direction for the times we live in. It is the Word of God. It is truth that will not fail. God will not fail us. He will never leave us nor forsake us. In Joshua, it says about how the book, this book of the law shall not depart from thy mouth. It's not enough just to hide it in our heart. We need to speak it. It needs to be in our mouth. It needs to be heard. The world needs to hear it, if nothing else. But as we speak it to ourselves, I think it, it can bring some strength and power to, to, our, um, to our life. You know, we got through the book of Hebrews in our Sunday school, so I, I feel like now I have a, a little more freedom to maybe bring out some things from Hebrews. But I noticed a verse in there today. It said, it's a good thing that the heart be established with grace. Not with meats, not with the things which does not profit, but, you know, with grace. That, that stood out to me. We, we need a heart that's established. Because if, if we're like, well, I'll give an illustration. <clears throat> there was a, um, a teacher profile at Berea that <clears throat> where he listed some things about himself in the writer's window. <clears throat> Excuse my voice. One of his pet peeves, he said, was, was uh, when he's driving a car or vehicle when there's something loose in the car that's just moving around while he's driving. And I know what he means because I've had that in the back of a truck. And in the bed of a truck, it's really bad because it's got a lot of movement back there. <clears throat> well, that's not a good thing if our heart happens to be loose like that and just falling around whatever wind of doctrine like we talked about this morning. <clears throat> We, we need some things to be established. And it says it's by the grace of God. It's by that realization of the grace of God that is able to do that, not with meats. For the kingdom of God is not about meat and drink, it says in Romans, <clears throat> but about righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. So that's, that's a blessing and that's a, a great understanding that we, <clears throat> we need to have. There's another verse that has been in my mind quite a bit the last little while as, as pertains to life and how, how we minister one to another. And that is, the Bible says we know in part and we prophesy in part. 
is that a cause for dismay? Should that, you know, how, how does that affect where we go from there if, if, we, if we realize that what well, is true we know in part, and I think the scary thing is sometimes we kind of preach in part. I think we teach in part. I think a lot of the, the ways in which we minister in the, in the things of God <clears throat> is partial and incomplete maybe in how we are able to do it for the glory of God. But I think in that understanding there's, there's some strength and there's some, um, some goodness because it means we don't always have to be perfect in the things we do. Our understanding might not be where it needs to be. Doesn't mean we give up or, or say, well, I have nothing to offer. We don't have to wait until we know all things to be able to start speaking the things of God. Now, there is a place for knowledge. Knowledge is, is very needful. And, and the Bible says, you know, to, to uh, continue. Continue in the things that you have learned and have been assured of. So we do stand on a foundation that, that um, is helpful to us. Knowing we need to grow in knowledge, we need to progress in that. We need to have a pattern of good works as pertains to our conduct, to the obedience of faith, and walking with the Lord. 1 Corinthians 8, verse 2 says this, If any man think that he knoweth anything, he knoweth nothing, yet as he ought to know. <laughs> so that, that verse might bless you too, that you know nothing as you ought to know. <laughs> There's that other thought that knowledge puffeth up, but charity edifieth. You know, knowledge is good only to the extent, I believe, to where it helps us walk in the, in the grace of charity and love to where it brings forth edification, exhortation, and comfort to the body of Christ, as does some of the other graces and gifts of God pertaining to prophecy. It says that's what prophecy is designed to do. Somebody may claim, well, I have a gift of prophecy. I can see things. I know things. Well, is it, is it edifying the body of Christ? Is it exhortating, exhorting us and comforting us? If it's not doing any of that, I'm not real interested in predictions and, and things you might see because that is God's gift to the church to be able to build up the church with that gift. And so we know in part, and I think in that sense, we have some liberation to be able to serve God and not be discouraged in the, in the work that we do, not constantly worrying, am I going to fall flat on my face? Because we may indeed do that in, in some of the things we undertake to do. But, you know, I see it as it's better, it's better to take a step of faith and launch out without maybe having full knowledge, even falter in what we do than to not try at all. Because when God says a thing, I want to apply myself to it and, and grow in that strength and in that grace. Hebrews 5.14 says, By reason of use, we have our senses exercised. I think that's talking about our, our five senses our body, what the, the temple that we use now to, to serve God. By reason of use, 
We use that to exercise to, to discern both good and evil. Out of that exercise comes an understanding, wisdom, that we can apply to very needfully to, to the times we are called to in our day where there is much deception and we are warned about end time deception. One of the, the, the things Jesus emphasized about the last day. You know, there's another word that Jesus used concerning the last days. In Luke chapter 21, he talks about the distress of nations and perplexity. Perplexity. Just a wondering, you know, what's going on in the world? And you may get that feeling with, with the news. And, and what happens and how it's reported. Did that really happen? What, what was the agenda behind that? What was the narrative behind that that, that we don't see? And, and you, you can go down little rabbit trails of conspiracy. Some of them may be true. The fact is, I think a lot of conspiracy is designed to steal your faith. It's to distract you from applying the knowledge of God and the word to what you see. In other words, we get wrapped up. We can only absorb and do but so much in our spirits. And, and so I think conspiracy theories, while there may be some truth to them, they can take us down the road to where it's a distraction. And that would be something I think Satan would, would like us to do as well. So knowledge brings... Assurance. It brings confirmation and comfort, especially when it is mixed with love and with wisdom and with the blood of Christ on our lives. I'd like to take you to Numbers chapter 10 this morning. <clears throat> Numbers chapter 10. Thinking of <clears throat> what to share as, as, a, as a main course for the message this morning, and I'm probably already halfway through with my time, I thought it may be more of a, of a, a finger food type of message this morning because I have a lot on my mind and sometimes it's hard to sort of bring it together into one, <clears throat> to one thing. But I've been studying through the, the book of Numbers lately and it's very interesting. The Old Testament is, is full of, of, of good things for us if we can let ourselves get into it. You know, the, the New Testament describes the Old Testament as the oracles of God. It was, it was the words of God to the, to the Jews, to the Israelites at that time. <clears throat> and they had an advantage, Paul said, because unto them was given the oracles of God and in the book of Acts, I think Stephen talks about they were lively oracles. So I like the Old Testament. I don't, I don't know where you like to meditate and where you find your, um, your interest at in the Word of God. But I've been challenged lately by the things in, um, <clears throat> in the words of Moses. And in chapter 10 here it says, The Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Make thee two trumpets of silver, of a whole piece shalt thou make them, that thou mayest use them for the calling of the assembly and for the journeying of the camps. 
And when they shall blow with them, all the assembly shall assemble themselves to thee at the door of the congregation, of the tabernacle of the congregation. And if they blow but one trumpet, then the princes, which are heads of the thousands of Israel, shall gather themselves unto thee. And when ye blow an alarm, then the camps that lie east, lie on the east part shall go forward. When ye blow an alarm the second time, then the camps that lie on the south side shall take their journey, and they shall blow an alarm <coughs> for their journeys. But when the congregation is to be gathered together, ye shall blow, but ye shall not sound an alarm. You know, interestingly enough, the trump of God was spoken of in in 1 Thessalonians and in, in 1 Corinthians, I think, as well, concerning the calling together of, of people in the last day. You know, I think it's very evident to see, maybe make a connection here with how it's spoken about this trumpet, the sounding of the trumpet being used to call the assembly. How much more pertinent is that maybe... Um, you know, it talks about the law having a shadow of things to come, a pattern of things in the heavens, not the very image, but it was a figure of the true. And so when you start to read the Old Testament with that in mind, not just the events, but when you start to say, well, this here can apply to some, some parts of my life. Maybe it's speaking in... in um, coded ways you could say because God Jesus talked about these things being hidden from the wise and the prudent and being revealed to babes and and so yeah it takes some humility it's not like we puff ourselves up with what all these things we know but I think as we humble ourselves before the Lord he begins to show us uh, wonderful things out of his law The trumpets were used to sound an alarm, a call to battle. A call that gave direction to the people and stirred them up to go to war against the enemy. Verse 9, it, it says, And if you go to war in your land against the enemy that oppresseth you, then you shall blow an alarm with the trumpets, and you shall be remembered before the Lord your God, and ye shall be saved. From your enemies. And also then if you read further in that, there were times where they blew it at other occasions where there was gladness or or you know it was the trumpet was to sound. Isaiah fifty eight says to lift up your voice like a trumpet. The times we live in, you know, the very possibly, it's, we could be sounding an alarm any day if it's the call to go to battle in, in the Christian experience because we battle every day. There should be a calling together in the brotherhood of doing this together with the, with the strength of God, alerting us to where we are, we are in a warfare, to where we put on the armor of God it talks about. To be able to stand in the day that we live in. The cha this chapter of, of Numbers 10 has caught my attention 
One reason it catches my attention is because it's the last chapter before you begin to go into the uh, failures, the, the dire failures of the children of Israel where they made some irreversible decisions that God was not able to work with them as he had before. You could say this was the last of the good times for the children of Israel. They had not yet rebelled against God fully in refusing to possess the land. I thought of a, a title to kind of pull together some of my thoughts here this morning, and that is the words of Scripture found in some of these next few chapters I would like to look at. And that is, only rebel not against the Lord. Only rebel ye not against the Lord. But we see in numerous characters in the scripture. And, th and this is where it, I think it could become serious to our lives. Where they walked with God in a certain strength. And they had uh, a failure that came up. And they, they uh, were not able after that event to, to really regain the strength that they had before. We see it in the life of Saul. We see it in, in the life of David. When you think about the man David, the great things he did, and yet he, he met with a failure in his life. And my evaluation of his life after that is that he never really gained the authority and the strength after his failure with Bathsheba. Now, it doesn't mean God can't bring a, a renewal and a repentance to our hearts and that we, there's, while there's life, there's always hope. But I'm speaking more to the, the aspect of, of opportunity and the potential. At this point in their, their travelings, yes, Israel had failed some, but they still had the blessing of God upon them, and, and he had some good things in store for them if they could yet walk in that strength. I'd like to um, take a look here at the last part of chapter 10, it, it kind of ends on a good note here. It talks about the cloud of the Lord was upon them by day, and they went out of the camp, and it came to pass when the ark set forward that Moses said, Rise up, O Lord, and let thine enemies be scattered, and let them that hate thee flee before thee. And when it rested, he said, Return, O Lord, unto the many thousands of Israel. So you could say that was the last of the real good times and the good opportunities Israel had at that stage. Because chapter 11 goes into where the people complain and it displeased the Lord. The Lord heard it and his anger was kindled and the fire of the Lord burnt among them, chapter 11, verse 1. And consumed them that were in the uttermost parts of the camp. Notice who the fire of the Lord consumed. It was the ones in the uttermost parts of the camp. Almost like the ones in the, kind of on the fringe that maybe their heart wasn't really what was the Lord wanted to do. Is there an application in that for us today? 
that the Lord brought his judgment on, on the outermost parts of the camp. Now that just stood to me a little bit because I, I think there were good people in, in the uh, children of Israel that were, were perhaps like us in our day. We, we are very much, um, our heart is, is distressed with the conditions around us. And so you don't just lump everybody into the, to the same category when you see a failure. Going further then into chapter 11 here at, at, um, in the book of, of Numbers. Moses, he takes a complaint to God. This, this complaining of the people gets to him too. And so he... He lets the Lord know in verse 11, Wherefore hast thou afflicted thy servant? And wherefore have I not found favor in thy sight that thou layest the burden of all this people upon me? Verse 14, I am not able to bear all this people alone because it is too heavy for me. And if thou thus deal with me, kill me, I pray, out of thy hand, if I have not found favor in thy sight, and let me not see my wretchedness. And so Moses is kind of at his wit's end too with the situation. But so often in the many faithful men, I can think of numerous, Moses, Elijah, there was the prophet Jonah and maybe even Daniel that kind of reached the end of their capabilities and they felt weak. And in those moments, they cried out to God. Notice that God would often give them some instruction to do, some practical thing to do. You know, get, get on your feet. Here, here's some direction I'm going to give you to go forward. God didn't just get down there and wallow with them in their, in their problem. He, he gave them some purpose and a goal. And he got them out from under the tree. Because if you notice in the Bible, often when you find a man under a tree in the Bible, it's not a good thing. They're just sitting there. They need some help. And we see in this chapter where the Lord sends some help. He, he says in verse 16, To gather unto me seventy men of the elders of Israel, whom thou knowest to be elders of the people and officers over them, and bring them unto the tabernacle of the congregation that they may stand there with thee. And I will come down and talk with thee there. And I will take of the spirit which is upon thee and will put it upon them. And they shall bear the burden of the people with thee that thou mayest not bear it alone. So I see in that the Lord brought his spirit upon more of the, of the men to be able to bear the burden. Isn't that true in our day? We need this, the spirit to be able to bear the burdens we carry. We, we may not realize the, the emptiness there was without the manifestation of the spirit of God in that time. As we appreciate so much the day of Pentecost where God freely poured out his spirit, he said, in the last days. If you need an end time theology, that's right there, Joel chapter 2. In the last days, I will pour out my spirit upon men. I don't, I don't know how you argue that. 
but it goes a long way to be able to carry the burden, and, and that's what the Lord did. And we notice in this story, when that happened, verse 25, it said, The Spirit rested upon these 70 men. They prophesied and did not cease. And then there remained two of the men in the camp, verse 26. The name of the one was Eldad, the name of the other Medad. And I noticed with interest here, it said, The Spirit rested upon them, and they were of them that were written, but went not out unto the tabernacle, and they prophesied in the camp. And there ran a young man and told Moses and said, Eldad and Medad do prophesy in the camp. And it says, Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of Moses, one of the young men answered and said, My Lord Moses, forbid them. And Moses said unto him, Envious thou for my sake? Would God that all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit upon them. So in, in this chapter, the people complained. Moses complained. The Lord brought an answer to both of those problems. They were complaining about not having flesh to eat. They were complaining about, I guess they were bored with their food. And so the Lord sent an abundance of these quails in the last part of this chapter. And verse 33 says, And while the flesh was yet between their teeth, ere it was chewed, the wrath of the Lord was kindled against the people, and the Lord smote the people with a very great plague. So you can ask, why did the Lord uh, operate in this manner to where um, he answered the request? He sent them meat. And yet when they began to eat that meat, his, it said it stirred up his wrath against them. You know, when I read things like that, it, it teaches me about the Lord. It, I think we can allow that to teach us something about the Lord. And what was it? What was it about their excessiveness? Because we know there was some excess in the way they went out and they just gathered all these way more than they needed. And even in the case of the manna, the Lord told them, take only enough for a certain amount. So I think if they would have shown some moderation in their gathering of all that meat and all that quail, I think the Lord would have, have honored that. But if you read that full context, it said they, they acted out of lust. It was a lustful thing. It wasn't appropriate in what they were doing. And the amount that they gathered, somebody estimated that was like 400 gallons of quail per person. So that was just way out of, <laughs> you know, they just went overboard with that. The Lord smote them. And so chapter 11 ends on a bad note. And then you look... You look through this a little farther. He, uh, he shows how that Miriam and Aaron began to complain against Moses. I wondered if they saw the spirit that had come upon the prophets. Not the prophets, but the ones that had began to prophesy there, the elders. And they thought, wow, this is great. You know, God's speaking through more people. 
Certainly he would speak through us. We, we serve in the, in the tabernacle. We are recognized, Miriam was recognized as a prophetess. Aaron was pretty much the, the head guy there in the, in the tabernacle. And they began to complain. And verse 4 says, The Lord spake suddenly unto Moses and unto Aaron and unto Miriam, Come out, ye three, unto the tabernacle of the congregation. And so they went out there, and the Lord spoke to him, and he reveals, he reveals something to them about, his, about the way that he communicates. Verse 6, he says, Hear now my words. If there be a prophet among you, I, the Lord, will make myself known unto him in a vision and will speak unto him in a dream. My servant Moses is not so, who is faithful in all my house. With him will I speak mouth to mouth, even apparently, and not in dark speeches. And the similitude of the Lord shall he behold. Wherefore then were ye not afraid to speak unto my servant Moses? And the anger of the Lord was kindled against them, and he departed. And so the Lord was angry. The Lord manifests, as we see numerous times, that he, he has the, he's a person. He, he responds to events. He can have anger at a situation. And he communicates through the prophets in, in these ways, in a vision, in a dream, in dark speeches. I think this, the same is probably true today. I don't know that that changed with the way the Lord speaks to us. And so Miriam was shut out of the camp seven days, it says here in the last part of, of chapter 12. That chapter began with a problem, and it ends with a problem. So now we come to chapter 13. This is where the Lord really begins to test the congregation of the people, I believe. And he gives them some instructions. He, I think he, he wants to bring some, some order, if possible, and some opportunity for these people. In the uh, first part of chapter 13, God tells them to send thou men that they may search the land of Canaan, which I give unto the children of Israel. Of every tribe of their fathers shall ye send a man, every one a ruler among them. And so Moses did that. He, he, he called out uh, 12 men, one for each tribe. And we know the story. We, we know these, these men, they, in a sense, I guess you could say they represented their tribe. They represented the people. And, and maybe even the spirituality of the people. We all remember the two, the two that were sent that brought back a good report. It was Caleb and, and Joshua. And um, Caleb, he represented the tribe of Judah. And Joshua represented the tribe of Ephraim. Those, those two tribes were, uh, maybe you could say, some of the Lord's favorite. But does anyone remember, does anyone remember 
the names of, of any of the ten spies that brought back an evil report? Is there memory in your head where you could say, oh yeah, I know those fellows real good. They brought back an evil report. I don't think any of us here know it without reading our Bibles, the names of those men that brought back an evil report. It lists it right here. But somehow, it's like God said, the remembrance of, of the ungodly will, be, um, will cease from off the earth. He has a way of doing that. <clears throat> I'd like to look maybe a little bit at, at what went down here. Moses' instruction was to send them out, he said, to search out the land. Verse 18, chapter 13, verse 18, he says, to see whether they be strong or weak, whether they be few or many, and what the land is that they dwell in, whether it be good or bad, and what cities that be there that they dwell in, whether in tents or in strongholds. And what the land is, whether it be fat or lean, or whether there be wood therein or not. And be ye of good courage, and bring of the fruit of the land. Now the time was the time of the first ripe grapes. And so they went out, and they did this. And they brought, by and large, they brought back an evil report. I thought of one thing in, in verse 19. We talk about strongholds. We, th- we think about the strongholds of the enemy. Maybe in our lives. Maybe in someone else's life. Is it a stronghold or, or is it living in tents? And I thought, well, maybe this is speaking to the, the amount of, of influence or the, the amount of hold that Satan has on people's lives. There may indeed be a stronghold there, or it may just be that the devil is is sort of lurking around there in a tent, still casting an influence on a person. But in in all of this story, I like the courage and the boldness of Caleb, because I don't like talking about all the bad things about the children of Israel. We could do that a lot today. I want to... I want to focus some on the good. And in verse 30, notice the, the authority, I guess you could say, that he brought after the others had had their say. And Caleb stilled the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and possess it, for we are well able to overcome it. Is that the strength you walk in in your Christian life? That I am well able to overcome whatever comes my way. I believe that is a a New Testament truth that we can stand on. Nevertheless, the the people continued to to bring out the evil of the land, and that chapter as well ends on a bad note. And there we saw the giants, the sons of Anak that came of the giants. And we were in our sight, and we were in our own sight as grasshoppers, and so we were in their sight, so... That brought discouragement to the multitude, to the people of God, and, and they began to go down this road of wood to God. We had died in Egypt. 
getting into chapter 14 here. <clears throat> Wherefore hath the Lord brought us into this land to fall by the sword that our wives and our children should be a prey? Were it not better for us to return to Egypt? And they said one to another, let us make a captain and let us return into Egypt. And you see the response of, of Moses and Aaron. It says they fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation of the children of Israel. And Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb the son of Jephunneh, which were of them that searched the land, rent their clothes. They responded in, in a very intense way. I, I don't think it was just a, a put on thing. But they fell on their faces because they realized this was a spirit of blasphemy against the Lord. It wasn't just that they were fearful. They were in rebellion. Verse 9, Caleb again finds the courage to speak. He says, only rebel not ye against the Lord. I, I have a feeling their rebellion was what led to their fear in that instance. He again, he again tries to sell this land as, as it was, uh, to his evaluation, it was an exceeding good land in verse 7. And if the, if the Lord delight in us, then he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land which floweth with milk and honey. I hope, you, I hope you're making the spiritual applications that need to be made from, from this uh, passage of scripture and I believe it serves as an allegory indeed to the things we face in life you know the Lord sets things before us he may even call on us to evaluate the land and say is it good or bad what is our report going to be concerning that land what is the evaluation that we are going to make And so the congregation wanted to stone them for giving a good report. And notice there the consequence of that. God said, surely they will not see the land, which I swear unto their fathers. Verse 23 and 24. But my servant Caleb, because he had another spirit in him, and hath followed me fully, him will I bring into the land wherein he went, and his seed shall possess it. And jumping down to uh, verse 31, but your little ones, which ye said should be a prey, them will I bring in, and they shall know the land which ye have despised. The very uh, concerns that, that the rebellious people had, God preserved their children. They thought their children would perish because of, of the giants in the land. But God said, because of your lack of faith and your, your lack of, of uh, having an understanding heart, a heart like Caleb with the right spirit, you will die in the, in the land. And even those men which did bring up the evil report upon the land, verse 37, died by the plague before the Lord. That may be one reason we don't remember them, because they died. 
I think, very in short order. Now out of that came a realization upon the people that God was true, that he had showed himself by the death of the ten spies and, of course, by the testimony of of the righteous people and the fact that the righteous were the ones that lived of those twelve. And so out of that, they said, oh, we can do this after all. We'll go up. But the Lord had already dropped the curtain on that opportunity. You know, their faith was based on something that they could see. I, th- I guess you could say in that, in that case. That is, that is what gave them the courage, the things they saw. But the spirit of the Lord that would come to us in our callings and in our duties of life may often say we need to reach out and take a step where we don't always see, where we don't always know, because we know in part and we prophesy in part, and we see through a glass darkly. It is in that environment in which we are called to stand up and and call the things that be not as though they are. That is who God is, and that is what he does. Our call is to cast down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself above the knowledge of God. Our, our work and our mission is to be mighty to God to the pulling down of strongholds. I find that a, um, a call to be found in that avenue of, of, of living. I was thinking now a little bit about God bringing judgment upon the people when, when all, those, all that abundance of quail meat came about. And you know, I think there's, there's an event in the, in the life of David that could correspond maybe to the spirit that God was looking for and searching for in, in the people of that day. I have to turn to this. Second Samuel. It's the last part of Second Samuel. At the end of David's life, it begins to recount some things that happened there. Chapter 23. It talks about his mighty men. I'm going to read here at verse 13. Second Samuel 23, 13. It says, Three of the thirty chief went down and came to David in the harvest time into the cave at Abulam, and the troop of the Philistines pitched in the valley of Urathadium. And David was then in a hold, and the garrison of the Philistines was then in Bethlehem. And notice here in verse 15, it, it brings out, in the midst of all these statistics, it throws in a, a little event here that I think can speak to us. It says, David longed and said, Oh, that one would give me drink of the water of the well of Bethlehem, which is by the gate. You understand that thirst he probably had in that, in Bethlehem, that was where he should have been. Maybe, I'm not sure what the, the backdrop here was, but apparently the Philistines were, were guarding that they had a hold upon the good things that David wanted 
a, a drink of water. How refreshing that would be. And verse 16 says this, and the, and the three mighty men broke through the host of the Philistines and drew water out of the well of Bethlehem that was by the gate and took it and brought it to David. Nevertheless, he would not drink thereof, but poured it out unto the Lord. And I envision how that happened, where David longed for something. He may have just mentioned it in passing. His three mighty men heard that. They went out and broke through the ranks of the Philistines to bring David that water. And you think, what a waste. David takes that water and all that work and all that effort. He pours it out to the Lord. And I've thought before, was that the right thing to do for him in that setting? But what, I think what that brings out to me is that David realized after that happened, he was not worthy of that water. He poured it out, he says, to the Lord. Only the Lord was worthy of such that effort and that work and the risk of the lives that those men went to. But they went to do it for David. Now, I would suggest to us this morning that there are three mighty men, as it were, that have broken through the ranks and have brought us the water of life. That is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And, and I think the true sign of a, of a person of humility and redemption that is experience redemption is that they feel unworthy to receive of that from the Lord. See, the Israelites, they went out and just gobbled it all up like it's mine. I, I'm entitled to this. Not realizing the divine providence that brought it about. And when we realize that, brothers and sisters, I, I think it changes our hearts to the things we are able to receive and the things we do receive from the Lord because it is certainly without him we have no hope. But I think in all of that, there is a great strength and humility that the Lord is calling for us, for his people today, to be able to serve him. To do that rightfully, we need to be emptied. We need to be sanctified and consecrated and purified and cleansed like they did all those things at the temple. And then, only then, is the Lord able to, to minister through us, if that's our desire. It cannot be a 50-50 thing in the sight of God. So maybe some of those things would encourage you from the word of God here today. And may the Lord bless you in your efforts and in the giving of your life, which I believe you're doing. It's a blessing to be with the people of God here in Ebenezer. And we just see the work of God, we look for it, and we claim the promises of God. We declare God's favor over us. Maybe we don't feel worthy of that, but I think it's only right because of what Jesus did for us and the work he went to to obtain for us that well of water. He does desire for us to drink of that well. And as we do so, his message to us is not to back ourselves into a corner, not to just play defense, 
but to go on a little bit of offense. I noticed in, in Matthew chapter 10, it was a very close passage to what was read in our Sunday school this morning. Jesus said, he said, to, to heal the sick, cleanse the leper, cast out demons, even raise the dead, he said, to those that went forth and did those things. And then he said, freely you have received, freely give. In other words, you have received this thing. Now, yes, we desire the same thing for others, but he said there's an extent to which we give ourselves into that. He said, you make it happen. You make it happen. So I think God is able to do that. He's willing and ready to work in our lives to do great and wondrous things beyond what we can ask or think by his glory. Let's stand for closing prayer.